Welcome back, Heming Brainiacs, to the pod. Talking about Chapter X. Um, I, to be honest, I can't even tell you what it was about. I am scrolling through the text from yesterday, Chapter 10, and just can't even, even skim reading it. I can't remember what it was about. I just don't think I was paying attention. But... Swim said, I downloaded the podcast as suggested. On a side note, we are leaving a legacy. I got an inbox message from someone who has been reading our comments from way back in the book of verse. It is gratifying that others are discovering this subreddit and embarking on their own journey. Well, thanks for saying that, Swim. We are leaving a legacy. And um, look, we might not have done the most thorough deep dive into some of these books um, but we still read them every day, and we made comments when comments were inspired. I feel like at this point it's not really our fault if this book isn't inspiring a whole lot of conversation. But yeah, no, it's a great thing, and the the whole thing will be packaged up. You know, once this thing's finished, the Hemingway List um, website for the podcast. You know, you can go and look at all the completed books and just pick one of them out and listen to those episodes. Um, and some of them are great as like a little product, you know. Um, some of them, like the Brothers Karamazov and probably this one, I would almost mark them on, and I think I did this on the Brothers Karamazov. If you go to the Podbean, you know, the website for the podcast and go to like finished books Click on Brothers Karamazov and it shows you every single, you know, episode of the podcast covering the whole book. But I'm pretty sure from memory, I put like a warning at the top, like, don't bother listening to this one, you know, bad reading warning. When I find the, the, the book so unenjoyable, the reading suffers. So I do apologize, Swim, that I feel almost bad now that I've suggested, oh, I just, you know, listen to the podcast as a way to catch up. But then I'm aware that the readings I've been doing for the last few weeks have just been like, you know, I'm just mumbling through it, speed reading. If I, you know, mess up a word, I don't bother half the time to even go back and fix it. I just keep reading parts, you know, so, um, which is terrible. But at the same time with this book, it doesn't matter because there's just sentence after sentence after sentence ongoing, 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 paragraph after paragraph of just nothing. So if you mess up a word here and there, it actually has zero impact on the book because it is just endless tripe, endless nonsense. All right, now, what's going on today? Let me have a little skim through this chapter. It's it's not a super long chapter, it's just a medium length. Usually I would I would knock off a chapter like this in one, but tonight I'm uh, I'm not feeling up to it. I'm feeling a little off tonight. A little, I don't know what I'd call it. A little nauseous almost. So I'm just going to do, you know, five minutes of reading tonight, and then we'll call that part one, and then tomorrow we'll finish chapter eleven. So here we go. The sinking of the old dugout will rob Edward of Neving's occupation, and the question comes, to what great national or civic end 
He will devote his Thursdays. On Monday evening, he presides at the Piper's Club. On Tuesday, he goes to the theatre. On Wednesday, he attends a meeting of Sinn Féin. On Thursday, he dozes through the proceedings of the Christ Nofta. And Friday, there is a choir practice in the cathedral. On Saturday, he speaks <clears throat> severely to his disobedient choristers, tries new voices in his rooms in Lincoln Place, and plans new programs with Vincent O'Brien, his choir master, chosen by him because he believes in O'Brien's talent and his desire to give the music in accordance with tradition and Edward's own taste. On Sunday, he is ever watchful in the cathedral, sitting with his hand to his ear, noting the time and the efficiency of the singers. I had to give way on one point, he said to me, but I think I told you already that the Archbishop stipulated that if a great composer of church music should rise, the cathedral should not be debarred from giving his music. I don't think it will happen very often, so there was no use in opposing his grace on the particular point. We have now 800 a year. 800 a year out of 10,000? You see, he said, the Archbishop has added 10,000 to mine, and that invested at 4% will bring in 800. So you succeeded in persuading the Archbishop to give you 10,000 as well as to grant you the headship. My admiration for Edward as a businessman swelled. It was a hard fight, he said, and very often negotiations were broken off, but I stuck to my guns, for of course it wasn't likely that I was going to give 10000 without getting what I was bargaining for. The sum of money seemed to strike a chord in my memory, and I was moved to ask him what had, been led, what had led him to fix on this sum, but refrained, lest I should appear too inquisitive. Something must have happened, I said, to fix this sum in his mind. It has never been less... It has never been more, and in the beginning, he didn't know how much money was necessary to found the choir. Would he have given the 20,000 if... It suddenly dropped upon me that he had told me in Beirut, in the great yawning street between the little bridge and the railway station, that he had come out of a great conscientious crisis and had had to go to Bishop Healy and lay the whole matter before him. What sin can he have committed? I said to myself, and quelling my curiosity as best I could, I tried to induce him to confide in me, and after some persuasion he confessed that his mother, fearing the land acts, had prevailed upon him to redistribute his grass farms. He, told, he had told the tenants that he would reinstate them, whereas he had given them other farms equally good, but they had found fault with the lands he had put them into, and his bailiff had been fired on the high road to Gort. He had received coffins and crossbones. It was not, however, fear of his life or his money that had brought about the great mental breakdown, but his conscience. If he had acted wrongly, he must make reparation before his sin would be forgiven him. And while I pictured him as a prey to remorse of pallid and rueful countenance, he told me that the one thing that stood to him was his appetite. For after a night of agony, he often descended his gothic stairs, forgetful to everything but the sirloin on the side table. He is always original, I said, and has discovered an unexpected connection between conscience and appetite, but notwithstanding his appetite, he had to leave Tilia for cork. He had always liked the sea and its influences, and in six weeks he had returned much more improved in health, but still unable to smoke his church warden, only an occasional cigar, and that a mild one. It may be, have been... It may have been from too much smoking, I said, but I can't think 
Why you wanted to send for Bishop Healy, I could have advised you better. Nothing would have satisfied me but a bishop, he answered, with a terrified look in his eyes, to tell you that you must keep your promise. All these business matters are very intricate, and it is difficult to say who is right and who is wrong. One doesn't know oneself, and when one's interests are concerned, one doesn't see straight. My heart went out to him, for it is seldom that one meets anybody altogether honourable about money matters, and rarer still is he who accepts the advice that he asks for. Edward had reinstated his tenants, and I began to wonder if the 10000 that he had spent upon his choir was connected in some remote way with his management of the property, or with his mother's management, or with his father's. A conscience like Edward's might lead him back 100 years to his grandfather, but if he had had any suspicion about his money, I should have heard it. He has been confessing himself to me for the last 30 years now, I come to think of it, he never told me how he first came to hear of Palestrina. It was when we lived in the temple together that he began to speak to me about the mass of Pope Marcellus, and one Christmas Eve he persuaded me to go over to Paris with him to hear it. And shall I ever forget how he sidled up to me when we came out of the church? Now, what do you think of Palestrina? About the beauty of the music, there can be no question. As far as advanced in his art was, shall we say, Botticelli. And what about the plain chant? You will never say again that you don't like plain chant. But there was no plain chant. None was sung today. Yes, the hymn. And the boy's voice. How much purer than a woman's. He sang very beautifully, Edward. You don't mean the Adest Fidelis? Of course I do. But Edward... And we began to argue, myself convinced, in spite of the fact that he showed me the Ades Fidelis in his prayer book among plain chant tunes, that it could not be else than modern music. And Raphael doesn't become a Rubens because it happens to have been hung among Rubenses. We argued about plain chant endings till I was on the point of reminding him the 13th century window of Aix-la-Chapelle, but restrained myself for once and admitting he had eaten too much steak, drunk and too much wine, he asked me to come with him. He was talking, taking me to the other end of Paris to buy the masses and motes of the great Italian contrapuntalists. We walked and we walked, arriving at last at the shop. His negotiations with the music seller began to astonish me. I had fancied he was going to buy music to the value of a pound or thirty shillings, two pounds perhaps, but I heard, and if I add three motets by Clemens, non papa, and two masses by Orlando di Lasso, that will come to how much? Five hundred francs? And if I take six more motets and six more masses by Vittoria, that will bring up the total to twelve hundred francs. I may be wrong in my figures, but he certainly bought that morning from 30 to 40 pounds worth of music, and while the bundle was being tied, bored, the conductor came in, and I told him that my friend Edward Martin was about to give 10,000 pounds to found a choir in Dublin and was buying music. Bored was, of course, very much interested in the Dublin choir, and he led me into the conversation graciously, in the course of which I said, I congratulate you, M. Bored, on your wonderful boy treble. A cloud came into his face, and after some pressing, he admitted that there was no boy in his choir. No boy? And Mr. Martin thinks a boy's voice much more beautiful than a woman's. It wasn't a boy, then, who sang the Adesfidelas. 
No, a woman. He added that she was fifty. I thanked him inwardly, and, feeling sorry for Edward, persuaded Bord to admit that he had taught her to sing like a boy. But if Edward had mistaken a woman's voice for a boy's, he may be mistaken from plain chant. And Mr. Mr. Martin tells me that the Adest is a plain chant tune, surely not. No, he answered. It is a Portuguese tune, and it was written about 100 years ago. But Edward spluttered, it is in my prayer book among the plain chant. How did it get there? Um, alright, I'm just going to stop there. It's kind of mid, mid-conversation, but I just, like, I just love how he, he just cherry-picks conversations where he's right and constructs, like, and just reconstructs them and probably, like, if, if, um, Edward was able to defend himself here and you could hear the conversation from his side, I'm a million percent sure Ed would be like, that, that's not what I said. That's not, you, and you didn't even say that. You didn't even say it wasn't a plain chant. Like, it, it, it stinks to me of, you know, when someone says something and then after it, when you're home later, having a shower, you're like, oh, I totally should have said this thing. I would have been so right. You know what I mean? And then he's reconstructed the conversation and said the thing you know, and, and, and constructed this situation where he's just right. Like, there's nothing, there is nothing interesting about this anecdote. Like, why would you choose to include this anecdote? He's only including it because within it, he's right about something. Oh, God, I, I hate this guy. Like, zero self-awareness. Ah. Uh, All right. Anywho, thanks for listening. We'll we'll pick it up tomorrow. See ya.